0: Um, By that time, a quarter million Arabs had already been expelled from from their homes. And by the end of the war that that followed, uh, 750,000 Arabs had been ethnically cleansed, never allowed to return.
1: You are listening to And If Love Remains, a unique show spotlighting people, ideas, science, culture, and art. Your host... Mike Lovett. Mike Lovett. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to that great podcast in the sky, And If Love Remains. I am your host, Mike Lovett, and I am thrilled to have on the line today. Jer- Jeremy R. Hammond. Uh, Jeremy is an independent journalist and he exposes dangerous mainstream propaganda that serves to manufacture consent for criminal government policies. I love that description. We need more of those people in our lives. Um, he's also an author and, and his latest book is Obstacle to Peace, the Role, the U.S. role in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that we are going to be talking
0: about today. Thank you for being on and if what remains, Jeremy. Yeah. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, just to quickly clarify, that's not my latest book, but um, it, it is the main book I've written on the topic of uh, the Israel-Palestine conflict. Um, I, I do have more recent ones, but this is, yeah, this is the big one that I wrote, the, my my magnum opus, if you will, on, the, on this particular topic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's def- definitely pertinent today. Definitely pertinent yes. today.
0: Yes.
1: Um, so I want to I ask you, um, I want to start with this. What What do American politicians mean um, when when they say Israel and the United States have a, quote, special relationship? Um, You know, we hear that in in context of Great Britain, which I kind of understand, you know, from it's kind of our mother country in a way. But but what when they're talking about our relationship is to Israel, why is that considered a, a special relationship?
0: Well, the special relationship, the nature of it is is that the U.S. supports Israel's crimes against the Palestinians. It does so financially, militarily, and diplomatically, um, and that is the nature of the of the spe- quote, you know so called special relationship. Um, I, I think it, it the the term special relationship and why it's considered special, um, apart from the uniqueness of of it, um, you know, the aspect of it where it's supporting crimes um, against the Palestinians is. I think it it stems from. Uh, the Christian background in the United States and and the kind of the, the Christian view of Israel is the establishment of Israel, you know, as a fulfillment of prophecy, among evangelical Christians they have this this viewpoint, um, which and they have a huge in, you know this Christian Zionist um, lobby, if you will, has a huge influence, particularly in in the Republican Party, um, but among Democrats as well, um, and so the U.S. government has this policy, and I think you know it's this idea that. The, the, the quote-unquote Jewish state is supposed to be, um, and you know the Palestinians who were expelled from their homes in order for the, the Jewish state to come into existence just have to get over it. And so that's the nature of the special relationship. And so what I'm referring to is, of course, in, um, in 1948, uh, Israel came into existence through the ethnic cleansing of most of the Arab population from their homes in Palestine. That is how Israel was created. Um, there's a myth that it was created by the UN. That's false. Um, and what that refers to is UN Resolution, uh, uh, General Assembly Resolution 181. Um, but that resolution, uh, contrary to popular myth, it neither uh, created Israel nor conferred any legal authority to the Zionist leadership for their uh, May 14th, 1948 declaration of unilateral declaration of the existence of Israel, which had had no legal power. It, it, there was no legal authority behind that declaration. It was just a unilateral declaration in which the Zionists proclaimed sovereignty over land that wasn't theirs. Um, and then um, by that time, by the end of the mandate, which this, the, the, the declaration came on the same date as the mandate expired, the, the British belligerent occupation of Palestine under the League of Nations mandate, which was then transferred to the UN. Um, by that time, a quarter million Arabs had already been expelled from, from, from their homes and by the end of the war that in, that followed uh, 750,000 uh, arabs had been ethnically cleansed never allowed to return and so this is this is the fundamental uh, root cause of the conflict was that you know that the palestinians the, Palestinian, the arabs palestinians were denied their right to self-determination um, after world war 1 and world war II as a result of the british uh, belligerent occupation of palestine specifically for the purpose of denying their rights in order to uh, facilitate the establishment of this Jewish state.
1: right. I, I think um, I, I, I've, I've had many arguments with people lately about about that idea because you know sometimes we get lost in the minutiae of um, uh, you know this this Security Council allowed this and the UN allowed that and the British and the Ottoman Empire and we get all, we get all of these things but but I try to get back to a fundamental level of of if I own a piece of property, no matter who is the authority figure over that land, I own that piece of property, and and you know you can say well under the law of might make right, you know somebody can kick you off the land, but that doesn't make it moral nor legal, and and I think um, you know until we we actually come to terms with with real people who lost real land at a real time and the you know not that that can be solved necessarily at this point but at least we can have an acknowledgement of what's going on and and where these things come from
0: right yeah the historical context is so critical and you know the big problem is that most of what people think they know about the conflict isn't true because western media parrot zionist propaganda narratives and the reason for that is because western governments have since its inception supported the Zionist movement, um, and so we have this distorted view uh, of the conflict through the you know through the lens of government officials in the West who support who who are apologists for the ethnic cleansing of Palestine, and then the mainstream media, which of course report on on the conflict through this this Western lens. So it's um this is the problem.
1: Yeah, and I, I also I want to address a little bit the the um the religious aspect that you mentioned, especially among evangelicals, because you know, so f- for example, for me, you know, I I'm a religious person. I grew up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, which has a whole other you know uh um baggage, a literary baggage when it comes to Zion, gathering of Israel, you know, all these kinds of things. You know, yeah, yeah. these terms means very specific things, and and um, are very important to my religion as well. Um, but i think it's super important that we get clear on um you know first of all separating you know god's will and what and the un will for example and 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 also like like um you know trying to to understand you know how um man it's 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 we it, we've got to like acknowledge the 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 wrongs that were done and and come to term with those and say wait maybe 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 God's will is supposed to happen in another way than than you know throwing people off their own land.
0: Yeah, this is that's, this is a really good point. Um, it's really important point to make that you know at the time you know when, when the Zionist movement was uh, was founded, um, it was actually opposed by the the religious Jewish communities, um, particularly the ultra orthodox communities, um, who because they saw this political Zionism, which was a secular movement, as Rebelliousness against the will of God, because the way they saw it, the way they interpreted the scriptures, um, you know, Tanakh, the, the Hebrew Bible, was that they had to await the coming of the Messiah to be able to return for for this for the nation of Israel to be reborn. And, and so, in their view, the the Zionist movement was an attempt by secular um, secular Jews to. Rebel against God and establish, re-establish Israel on their own, without God, and so it was really um, sacrilegious to a lot of you know the, the ultra-orthodox Jewish community, um, and so this is really important to understand. And, and to this day, there are ultra-orthodox Jews who who maintain that that view. They're an, who are anti-Zionist. Um, on the other hand, you have ultra-orthodox Jews who are very um, you know extreme. Um, and uh, this is the extremist um, uh, Jews in religious Jews in Israel today who are really a, uh, represented by the Likud party uh, of Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, and these are like the extremist settlers who, who they want to. Um, and it, it, this, this ties directly into uh, the, the terrorist attacks of, of October 7th, <clears throat> because if you look at the name of that operation, Hamas called it Operation Al-Aqsa Flood. So that's reference, referencing the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound um, or, or the Temple Mount in East Jerusalem. Um, and so, the, the uh, I, th- I think one of the the main reasons that Hamas launched this operation was the threat being made to the Temple Mount um, by this group of ultra-orthodox um, extremist uh, uh, Jews who aim to destroy the the mosque right to be able to rebuild the the jewish temple right um and so there was this they had announced just shortly just like a couple of weeks i think it was before um the, the operation alakza flood they, they, this community had announced the temple institute is called had announced its acquisition of uh, four red heifers and this is part of the prophecy that they have to sacrifice a, a red heifer um, and then, and then I I've, I don't know the exact details, but spread its ashes, uh, something like this, um, and then that will purify. Um, it's 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 an act of purification so that Jews can then return to that land because you know they're actually not supposed to step foot into the area of the temple uh, in an unclean state, and so this sacrifice is to it's a purification ritual um, to un- enable them to then rebuild the, the temple, and so it's it's a step toward fulfillment of the prophecy in the view of these um, you know, these, this, this kind of the settler, uh, the religious settler community in the West bank.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I, and, and I think especially for us Americans, uh, you know, like I really, um, I wanted, I just had Scott Horton on you, who talked a little bit about some of the history, which was, which was fantastic. And, and we'll get into that too. But I, I want to focus more on the, the United States role in this because, you know, um, what we, you know, what are we, what are are our tactics? What are we paying for? You know, I think if people, um, it's really important that people take this opportunity to look into their hearts and see like, what is it that we are doing? And, um, and I would even say even to, to the, the the state of Israel, I mean, this is, this is dangerous times for everybody. And, and I think even if you're a, you know, you think that, that Israel, you know, should have its own, or, you know, the, the Jewish people should have its own state. You know, this is this is really dangerous with what, what the America, what America is doing. So can you talk a little bit about America's role right now and and, and how we're, um, you know, what is America doing?
0: Yeah, well, initially, as I was discussing earlier, the, the, the biggest supporter of the Zionist movement, of course, was was Great Britain. Um, that really got taken over by the United States, especially after uh, the 1967 war. Um which was started by Israel on the morning of June 5th, <clears throat> 1967, with a surprise attack on Egypt that destroyed its air force while it was still, while its planes were still on the ground. Um, the CIA had accurately predicted that if war was going to break out, it would be started by Israel, and that Israel, because of its superior military power, would um, defeat the combined Arab armies within a week or two. Um, this, of course, is what's called the Six-Day War in Israel. Um, following the war, UN Security Council passed Resolution 242, which emphasized the principle of international law, that it's inadmissible to acquire territory by war. And um, having emphasized that principle, called on Israel to withdraw to the uh, pre-June 5th armistice lines, which are the same thing, uh, sometimes called the Green Line, um, also known as the 1949 armistice lines. Um, Israel has remained in violation of that resolution ever since, um, because Israel rejects the, the security councils meet intent of that resolution. It has its own unilateral interpretation of the resolution whereby it's not required to withdraw and it can maintain its occupation of the West Bank and Gaza Strip until such time as uh, their negotiations can occur um, to arrive at some kind of peace settlement. So in other words,
1: that that they need that extra land as a buffer. Is that, that the, the, you know, the, the claim out there?
0: Yeah, there's there's the land for peace um, right. framework. Um, so in other words, you know, it's a rejection of the applicability of international law. Uh, because not, you know, all of it, it's in the, in the media. This is an example of the media's bias and prejudice against um, the rights of the Palestinians. Because you'll often hear it, you know, New York Times constantly refers to uh, like East Jerusalem, for example, as quote unquote disputed territory. But this is false. Under international law, all of the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, are occupied Palestinian territories. There's no dispute about that. That's just a point of fact. Um, so, so you can see how, but Israel rejects that framework. It rejects the applicability of international law. And so it it's unilateral interpretation of Resolution 242 is that the people in the occupied territories must negotiate with the occupying power over how much of their own land they're allowed to remain living in. So that's the essential nature of what's called the peace process. So the US um, initially voted in favor of UN Resolution 242 with full understanding of what the intent of that resolution was and what the meaning of it is. However, uh, under the peace process, it, re- it um, despite, y- despite um, you know, having words about supporting UN Resolution 242. In effect, they're rejecting um, Resolution 242 and accepting Israel's unilateral, unilateral interpretation of it. And so the entire purpose of the so-called peace process, the US-led process, has been to... Um, it, it is the means by which Israel and its superpower benefactor have always blocked implementation of the two-state solution. And the two-state solution is essentially... Um, essentially means withdrawal of Israel from the occupied territories um, so that so that the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, um, that territory can be can exist as a sovereign independent state of Palestine. And so this is this is an outcome that Israel has rejected uh, and the U.S. has supported Israel in its rejectionism.
1: OK, OK. And and I think, um, you know, again, the from you know the outside from what what mainstream media portrays and and what we all hear it's it's you know portrayed as as if America is kind of an honest broker trying to you know broker peace between two two parties and and what's interesting is is um and, and I know Scott Horton makes this point of of you know if you know Israel says that that you know we we can someday have a two state solution. Um, you know well that implies, and there's it's not a two state solution that that it is you know because they don't have civil rights. It is essentially an apartheid situation there, um, and and I don't think there's any way you can get around
0: those facts. Um And um, yeah. it, go ahead, yeah, yeah. No, you just you just use the word the phrase a two state solution, which is correct uh, under the peace process. They refer to a two state solution, but there's huge difference. There's a world of difference between a two-state solution that's p- supported by Israel and the U.S., and the two-state solution. Okay. So the two-state solution is, is again, premised in, in the applicability of international law. That is what, what is reflected in UN Resolution 242. That's the two-state solution where the international community has called for an independent state of Palestine consisting of the West Bank and Gaza, including East Jerusalem. Okay, that's the two-state solution. Israel rejects the two-state solution, and it calls for a two-state solution, or it has, you know, at this point, the Israeli government has long since rejected even a two-state solution. Um, But while the peace process was still kind of alive, um, they would, you know, have words about a two-state solution. But it was was a situation where they were demanding that um, the Palestinians surrender sovereignty in their so-called state. Um, The West Bank would be still divided, um, you know, broken up, yeah. Into where you had these, you know, Jewish settlement blocks with Jew, Jew only highways. Um, no, uh, um, uh, you know, the, the Palestinian state could have which, no armed which forces. Is the problem down the line. I mean, all that—that's all that's going to do is. I mean, because
1: you're going to have people encroaching on that all the time.
0: Yeah, it was essentially Israel demanding major additional concessions from the Palestinians, um, and of course, this is another example of the, the Western media's prejudice. Against Palestinians' rights, because you'll hear constantly the media will say that Israel has offered concessions to the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. This is one of the, the Zionist propaganda narrative talking points that Israel has repeated. You know, the Palestinians have never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity. This is utter complete nonsense, and it's just ahistorical um, because in every single instance, what Israel is offering. It wasn't an offer. It was a demand for, uh, it was ultimatums for for the Palestinians to surrender more of their rights and more of their land. So, uh, you know, from the perspective, it's a concession only from the perspective of what Israel wants. But the proper framework for discussion is not what Israel wants, but what, what both parties are entitled to. And under international law, Israel isn't entitled to a single inch of G- gaza or the west bank including east jerusalem so again it's just this rejection of the applicability of international law and the media go along with that and you know we'll, we'll, we'll call the territories disputed territories or they'll say that israel has made repeatedly offered concessions to the palestinians and this is just it's just ahistorical and it's false
1: okay so i and, I, and i'm and i'm sorry i'm i'm a little bit of, neo, of a neophyte here like i I'm still a little bit confused about um, the United States role. And here's why I say that. Like if this was in, um, I don't know, so, you know, Pakistan or something, you know, if it, was, if it was somewhere else, like we could we, there are lots and lots and lots of people that say we have no business being there. We have no business, you know, being involved in this, but because it surrounds this place called Jerusalem, is that really the, the, the the driving factor is the religious component in the United States of why we have we have entered in this, or is there another power play going on? I, it's just really- well, if,
0: if going back to the origins again, uh, anti-Semitism was a huge factor. <laughs> okay, um, sad, sad enough to say, but if you look at it, if you go back to the history, um, Palestine pre-Zionist movement was actually a place of refuge for Jews relative to the rampant amp- anti-Semitism in Europe. And this is one of the reasons that Europeans supported the Zionist movement, including Germany. You know, German Germany actually had a pact with with the Zionist movement. Wow, the, the transfer agreement where they supported this this emigration um, of Jews to Palestine, and and of course um, other Western European governments had similar motives um, because anti-Semitism was I, rampant, and not that just that. in Germany but throughout Europe.
1: Yeah, that a major um, reason for the the. Um uh, for the, the accords in, in, in Britain was because to get rid of their the Jewish people there in Britain, they wanted the, a place for them to go, you know, there was a Yeah. Problem. So they were
0: happy for the, for the Jews to leave Europe and to, to resettle in Palestine. That, so that was one, and, and, and the, this is actually acknowledged by the British government itself. Um, if you look at there, because, you know, in, in, um, as a result, because as I said, it, Arabs and Jews actually got along pretty well as neighbors. They had amicable relations prior to the Zionist movement. And this is acknowledged by the British government because um, after the Zionist movement um, and, and the belligerent occupation that the British was enforcing, were enforcing, um, there was a, a number of major outbreaks of violence, 1920, 1921, and 1928 28, 28. There were major riots in which Jews were murdered. Um, and so the British government had these commissions of inquiry into each of those outbreaks of violence. You know, looking at the question of what is the root cause, like what what is the cause of the, of this violence, and they determined that there's it's not as a result contrary to the Zionist propaganda narrative again, it's not a result of inherent Arab hatred of Jews, but rather the the growing awareness among the Arab population that the Zionists aimed to dispossess them of their land and ultimately ultimately to expel them. And so this was the cause of the Arab resentment towards the Jewish communities and specifically, but specifically towards the Zionist Jewish communities. And in fact, the British government drew a distinction between the Zionist and non-Zionist Jewish communities. And in the non-Zionist Jewish communities, the Arabs got along fine with the, with the Jews and in fact benefited from the Jews being there because, of course, you know, Jewish immigrants from Europe brought wealth with them. And Arabs could find employment in the Jewish, in the non-Zionist Jewish colonies. And so, you know, and the British government, like, pointed out how in these colonies, in the non-Zionist colonies, um, Arabs and Jews actually got along fine, and and the Arabs acknowledged having benefited from the Jewish immigration. Whereas the Zionist colonies, the the Zionist organization had a policy of, number one, acquiring land um, by exploiting Ottoman feudalistic Ottoman land laws that didn't recognize the property rights of the people of the Arabs living on the land and who had homesteaded the land, Um, and so in in purchasing that land out from underneath its rightful owners um, by buying it up from these you know uh, uh, absentee landlords. Mm -hmm. So that was number one. That's how much of the land was acquired um, by the Zionist organization, and then having this policy of, uh, in many cases, they expelled Arab villages. From that land after purchasing it from the absentee landlords, and then also denying Arab employment in those in those Jewish colonies. Um, so this was a stark contrast between the, the, the Zionist communities and the the non-Zionist colonies, right? Uh, and the, so the British pointed this out well, that, as an example of it, it's the problem isn't that the Arabs just hate Jews. That's not the issue. The issue is they recognize that the Zionists aim to completely dispossess them and deny them their own deny them their property rights, their civil rights, their political rights. Um, and and ultimately to expel them, which, which, which and, and and the British government also pointed out that the Zionists weren't keeping that a secret. Like they were openly proclaiming their intention to reconstitute Palestine into a, a demographically Jewish state, which of course, the, 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 the Jews at the time were uh, a small minority. Even by the end of the mandate, they only were about a third of the population and had managed to acquire less than 7% of the land in Palestine. Arabs owned more land in every single district in Palestine and that included Jaffa, which included the main Jewish population center of Tel Aviv. Wow. And this is this is why the, the so-called partition plan was completely inequitable. The partition plan consisted of a rejection of the Palestinians' right to self-determination. And in fact, um, there was actually two, there was a majority and a minority opinion in the commission that came up with the partition plan. And the minority view was that this whole plan is contrary to the UN charter, which because of course the charter recognizes the right of peoples to self-determination. And that plan, by the way, was never implemented. This is a myth that the UN created Israel. um, Again, resolution 181, neither partition Palestine nor conferred any legal authority to the Zionist leadership for its unilateral declaration.
1: So uh, another, another question that I have again, as a neophyte, like where, um, because I've heard that, that there's no real, Uh, boundaries to Israel, um, that 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 was never, that that's never been established. So how does that work? And and what does that
0: even mean? I, I, that's a little bit confusing to me. Well, it's, you know, um, there's, this is another part of the, of the mythical narrative is that um, on May, after May 14th, 1948, with that unilateral declaration that the Arab states invaded Israel. Um, The problem with that narrative is that Israel did not exist as a legally defined political entity. There was no state. There was no legally defined state of Israel. Again, this was a unilateral declaration. It had no significance in terms of law. Um, and so, w- what really happened was, and again, already by that time, a quarter million Arabs had already been ethnically cleansed from their homes. And so, what happened was that the Arab states, the neighboring Arab states, intervened into Palestine to stop the ongoing ethnic cleansing, and that resulted um, by the end of the of the hostilities in the Palestinians remaining within just 22% of their of their historical homeland right so the West Bank and Gaza constitute about 22% of historic Palestine Uh, and so the Palestinians acceptance of the two-state solution since 1988 is in itself actually a huge concession on the part of the Palestinian leadership it's a major concession for them to say we'll accept a state in just 22% of our historic homeland that's already a huge concession. And yet you hear, you hear, you know, through the peace process that Israel has made all these great concessions to the Palestinians, which, which mean ultimatums to, to surrender more of their rights. Okay. So, so tell me like about Hamas, because there is, um,
1: you know, cause for a long time it was, the, it was really the PLO that were running things there. Um, and, and, it, you know, it seemed like you know once every five years, once a decade or so, there seemed to be some progress or something was happening, and and you know there was always conflict, but 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 there seemed to be some progress, um, you know, and and then uh, the PLO was rejected, Hamas came in, and and is that really a backlash from from um, uh, Israel constantly rejecting the concessions that the Palestinians were making?
0: Yeah, we have to keep in mind, um, particularly with the um, nature of the media reporting today and, you know, supposed analyses that we see in the media, we have to remember that Hamas is a consequence and not a cause of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Hamas is a consequence, not a cause of the conflict. Um, And in fact, when Hamas was first established in 1988, which is the same year that the PLO officially accepted the two-state solution, um, Israel actually supported Hamas as a counterforce against the PLO, precisely because the the PLO was now threatening Israel with a prospect of peace. The PLO was saying, we are are a peace partner. It had gained uh, legitimacy in the eyes of the international community as a peace partner, as a party willing to negotiate And come to a reasonable agreement and a solution involving both a jewish state and a palestinian state the problem was that again israel rejected the two-state solution and so the 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 palestinian leadership's acceptance of that solution was a threat to israel
1: yeah
0: and so to to prevent any movement towards a a a peace agreement uh, israel supported hamas against to divide the palestinian leadership and to undermine the Palestinian authority, or the, the PLO, um, which I almost said the Palestinian, I almost misspoke, it said Palestinian Authority. Um, just to distinguish the Palestinian Authority um, is a sub-organization of the PLO that was established under the Oslo Accords. Okay. And the purpose, while I'm on the point, um, the purpose of the PA under the Oslo Accords was to act as um, Israel's collaborator in enforcing its occupation regime. And this is why, this is why, Um, which was recognized, became increasingly recognized by the Palestinians that this was the true function of the the Palestinian Authority. And that's one of the reasons why Hamas, um, starting in in 2004 through 2005, uh, was winning municipal elections. Um, And and in 2006, won uh, parliamentary elections as well. And that's how the the Hamas-led government came into power. Um, stepping back a bit, starting in 2004, there was a, a dramatic shift in Hamas policy, where uh, the, the Hamas's founder Sheikh Ahmed Yassin had announced that Hamas was willing to accept a Palestinian state alongside Israel with a 10-year truce to establish mutual intent and recognition. Um, and so here you had Hamas actually moving like the PLO before it, moving away from armed conflict toward political engagement and diplomacy and this too posed a threat to Israel and Israel's response to the shift in policy away from extremism um and toward uh, moderation uh, Israel's response to that was to assassinate uh, Sheikh Yassin so um so which which ensured in- the radical the continued radicalization of, of Hamas and then and then coming to the 2006 electoral victory so Hamas was actually participating in 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 the politics, and um, and in, 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 it participated in democratic elections, and, and won. And so you had a Hamas-led government in the occupied territories. And what happened next was that, um, what happened next is what, it, what is described in the, the Zionist mainstream narrative as a Hamas coup in Gaza, that Hamas violently expelled Fatah, which was the opposing party of PA President uh, Mahmoud Abbas, from the Gaza Strip. And that, that's why we have this division. That's false. Again, it's just ahistorical. What actually happened was that the U.S. and Israel conspired with Abbas and Fatah to overthrow the Hamas, uh, the the elected Hamas government. So what Hamas did in Gaza was actually a counter coup. And this this included the U.S. arming uh, Fatah's special forces specifically for the purpose of overthrowing the Hamas-led government. And so what you had was that, that... That Fatah tried to overthrow the the Hamas government and Hamas fought back and and expelled Fatah from the the Gaza Strip. And that's why you have this division of of leadership where the PA remains in control in the West Bank, whereas in the Gaza Strip, you have Hamas in power. So this is the true history. This is what really happened. Um, And again, you can see how Hamas came to power in Gaza precisely because, precisely as a consequence of Israel's policies.
1: I was going to ask, how strong is that? ultra uh, right wing end of, of uh, Israel's politics, because, you know, I, I know, I know Netanyahu was in trouble and and there's some, you know, conspiracies about the timing of, of all of this, but is there like, um, is is it, is it, for example, is it, is it strong in numbers? Is it a strong in power? Uh, Why, why is, does this Zionist strong right wing
0: uh, political faction have such a root in israel still that's a really good question i don't really understand it myself because you know um my understanding is that you know a majority of of israelis are actually opposed to um netanyahu's policy in fact you know that there's what's there was described as a judicial coup where netanyahu was trying to re, um uh, you know revise essentially it's, it's referred to as a constitutional crisis in israel where it was trying to basically um, undermine the authority of the the judicial branch to be able to make it um, less of an obstacle, so that the judiciary was less of an obstacle to the advancement of the extreme Likud agenda, which involves, which is kind of a a continuation of the policy implemented under Ariel Sharon with what's called the disengagement plan, where, again, here's the propaganda narrative that Israel withdrew from, from Gaza in 2005 and all it got in return was incessant rock and fire from Hamas. Right. Um, which again, it's just, it's a historical. Um, so what, what the disengagement plan really was, was a, a, a shift where Israel was going to shift resources from trying to maintain its occupation on the ground in Gaza, um, to, you know, kind of basically saying we give up on Gaza. We're just going to, we're just going to, um, um, basically establish, you know, just create this ghetto, uh, over here in this corner of, of Israel, of Eretz Israel. And this can be the, the, the Gaza ghetto. And then we're going to focus our efforts on annexing as much land in the West Bank as possible. So this was, it was just a shift in resources. And, and while also granting political coverage for the international community by, 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 you know, expressing goodwill of like, Oh, we're going to withdraw out of the goodness of our hearts. Um, and, uh, and so this, this is basically a continuation, um, you know, of the continued expansion of Israeli settlements, which are illegal. They're a violation of international law. Um, you mentioned it as apartheid, um, that that's accurate. Uh, and increasingly uh, today, you know, uh, international human rights organizations, including Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, um, UN agencies, uh, Israeli human rights organizations like B'Tselem all recognize the Israeli policies toward the Palestinians as the crime of apartheid. So that's um, accurate.
1: Okay. Well, that's, I'm glad I used the, the proper <laughs> phrasing of that. It's, um, I want to talk a little bit about Netanyahu because, you know, again, I don't know Israeli politics well, um, but, and, 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 you know, again uh, just full disclosure what got me onto this um was this last attack I, you know it, it's uh it has not been a comfortable thing i think for a lot of people to like delve into this history and try to understand you know what you didn't what you knew you didn't know um that, that's not a fun thing to do but um when i saw that that you know the that the, that the troops you know were held back for hours um, I immediately I turned to my wife and I said they let them in. I said they they absolutely let them in. They let their people get slaughtered. And I got to I can't have a um, neut- morally neutral stand on this anymore. I got to figure out what's going on. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm brand new to this, but I think there's a lot of people on that same boat. So I want to talk a little bit about Netanyahu and his role, not just in, in the attack, but, but also, you know, as a leader of Israel for so long, I mean, he's been there for, for decades. What, what has been his role in, in, in suppressing the peace process and and not letting this happen? Well, the peace process has,
0: has been dead for as long as he's been in power. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, and that was the intent It you know, was to kill the peace process, which they succeeded in. Um, but, you know, speaking to that point, I, a lot of my own readers uh, have this belief, share the belief. Um, and it's also my understanding that at least a certain segment of the Israeli population has this a sense that the attacks were allowed to occur to, to create a pretext for what exactly. I'm not entirely sure, um, but I actually don't I. I'm open to that possibility, but I don't. I don't believe that to be the case, okay. uh, because to me, because to me, it's believable that there was uh, a, a true intelligence and military failure, um, precisely because of Netanyahu's policies, uh, which include, you know, the st- strategic use of Hamas, where uh, Netanyahu essentially treated Hamas as a strategic ally, again for the purpose of making sure that it had no peace peace partner, mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know, the view of the Netanyahu government was that. Hamas was contained in Gaza, which is the world's largest open air prison under a 16 year illegal blockade that's designed to collectively punish the the Palestinian population of Gaza um, for the crime of having Hamas as, as their leadership. Um, and and then again, you know, just advancing this kind of, you know, the, the Sharon's disengagement plan, the aim of that plan of, of just really uh Annexing more and more land, you know, de facto annexation of more and more land um, in the West Bank. And this included a shift of, of uh, even an, an additional shift of resources where, you know, like soldiers were pulled off of the, the armistice line uh, along Gaza and, and, and shifted into the West Bank. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so there, there was and then also uh, the, the the judicial coup, as it's called, by its opponents in, in Israel. Um also led to uh, dissent within the ranks of the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, where um, soldiers were uh, protesting. Wow! And not showing up for duty, like they they were they were refusing duty um, as a result wow. of this. Yeah, so this is what I mean. Like when when I say that I don't fully understand it myself, how Netanyahu wields so much power in Israel because he's not popular. <laughs> And and his popularity has since plummeted. Um, he, he's more unpopular now than ever. Um, and so, I, I just don't see a motive for for his government to have facilitated the attacks. Mm-hmm. I don't see it. In fact, it it to me it's it, it's a huge setback for his political agenda. And so, this is why I don't agree with that view. That um, which, although as I know, is popular. I have had many many readers express to me um, that they they believe that you know it was somehow facilitated and allowed well, to happen fair enough i listen i i, I you know i'd rather it not be right <laughs> yeah and well and, and to say something else about it you know i think um i think it's partly just trauma like there's this there's this belief in in every everyone who has expressed that view to me uh, among my own reader community um you know they have this belief of the idf and the israeli intelligence services as just, just like immensely powerful and you know forces second to the cia right they they, they can't imagine that the israel the the, israel's Mossad agency didn't see it coming or that the idf couldn't respond to stop it um and and i think it's i think it's kind of a a, in a way kind of a mythical view of of israel's intelligence and military okay that they're not as (laughs) they're not as competent as as people think okay well
1: listen that that that's a, um, that's good. Like, like it would be
0: bad if they just let them in. <laughs> that would not be a. a yeah. A yeah. And you know, I'm if so if there was if I could see a motive and somebody could kind of produce some kind of argument where, I, you know, I, I could be persuaded. I'm open to that, to it, but I just, I'm just not seeing it.
1: But just like, you know, and I will say t- two things, just like nine 11, like you can say that's an inside job. You could say it's not, but what you can't say is that, um, it was properly run, that the right things were done. And you can't say that the attacks and the and the um, the things that happened after it, just like 9-11, were the right things to do. And so the response has been absolutely abhorrent. Um, just like the US response to 9 11 was absolutely abhorrent.
0: Yeah, and, and in the case of 9-11, I, I will say that, you know, in that in that case there is abundant evidence of foreknowledge mm-hmm. um, on the part of the, the government as well as sure. facilitation of the attacks. That, which is a different story. So yeah, it's not, you know. yeah, yeah, I know that that's true. <laughs> um, okay.
1: So um, talk about, um, oh, I wanted to ask, because again, kind of bring it back home a little bit. Um, You know, I know there are people that are today still getting, you know, selective service letters, <laughs> you know, that, 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 you know, people are worried about, um, World War Three. We 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 have a proxy war going on in with uh, Ukraine. The Warhawks are trying to are are trying to get China to attack Taiwan for us. Um, and now this happens. In your opinion, like are we are we how are we as close as ever to World War Three? Are we like what? Tell me like the overall like how worried should we be at this moment in time from your
0: perspective? Well, <clears throat> this speaks to the question again of, or, or, or to the the kind of interesting relationship between the Christian Zionists in the U.S. and the um, extreme ultra orthodox um, settler Jewish community. Um, and the big risk I see is that 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 ultra orthodox Jewish community is going to carry through its threat to destroy the Al Aqsa Mosque, or, or the, um, and also there's the Dome of the Rock Mosque. Uh, or, or uh, in the, what's called the Temple Mount, and the Israelis refer to it as the Temple Mount, or the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound is what Palestinians refer to it as. Um, if that were to occur, um, it's the intent on the part of the Christian Zionists to, to, to usher in Armageddon. This is their purpose. Um, and in fact, when I refer to the red heifers, the four red heifers, um, those were delivered to Israel. Um, by Christian Zionists in, in the U.S. And that, that transfer was facilitated by the U.S. State Department working with the Israeli government. Really? Yes. And, um, and so <laughs> you have this situation where there are people who are literally trying to create the situation where um, the, they're, they're trying to create the end of times. They're trying to bring about Armageddon. And so when you have this type of power, you know, like they're actively trying to bring about Armageddon. This is, they want to, to them, it's just the fulfillment of prophecy. And one of the unique aspects of, you know, again, speaking to how anti-Semitism is a big part of the, uh, you you know, the cause of this, of this problem, um, not just during the the mandate era, but today still, I mean, you have, um, there's this belief that, you know, during the end times and this, this. Oh, this war, this Armageddon, that all but like one hundred and forty-four thousand Jews are going to be massacred, and so you have right. Christian Zionists who are actually like trying to bring about this war of end times, in which they know that there's going to be this genocide of Jews, wow. and and they're allied with these, you know, the 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 Zionist um, Jewish community in Israel. For the purpose of bringing about this this Armageddon, I mean it's it's crazy, and it, that's a frightening situation. I think, especially yeah. when you see like the U.S. government and the Israeli government like facilitating. When it um, becomes public policy, to- right, right, um, and and, and it, again, this again speaks to why Hamas, um, because Hamas had been, you know, Hamas routinely honors ceasefires um at the time of when it was involved in the elections when I was you know in 2005 2006 it was honoring a ceasefire um prior to uh operation castled in 2008 2009 there was a ceasefire between hamas and israel it was honored by hamas it was violated by israel and all all the details of all of this are in my book obstacle to peace um meticulously documented um and and again, prior to Operation Al-Aqsa Flood, um, Hamas was you know relatively quiet, um, and so you know if you look at why did they call it that? Why was it called Operation Al-Aqsa Flood? I mean, this is why. I mean, they they saw and, and you know this was also accompanied by um, Israeli soldiers accompanying um, uh, ultra orthodox Jews to the Temple Mount, preventing Palestinians from entering the mosque and allowing um, Jews to to worship there um which is contrary to to the status quo of the mosque which is actually under the authority of of a, a Jordanian um authority yeah um and so uh, you know you can you can kind of begin to understand why Hamas chose this time to launch this this operation
1: well is isn't I, I mean I'm having a shadow memory here i mean from a muslim point of view wasn't at one point the ayatollah trying to do the same thing um you know back in the day or maybe he still is or trying to bring on Arm- armageddon i mean are these are these like two holy wars gonna i mean this is maybe i'm mistaken but but i have the shadow memory of that happening if you have these two conflicting things going on at the same time that's not good no bueno
0: yeah i mean you know that the Quran and, and the christian bible are have some similarities in, in in that they both speak of you know end times and, and kind of a uh, I I think there's, you know, some kind of major war at the end of times. Um, although it could be a mistake. It's been a long time since I've actually read the Quran and I'm not familiar enough with, with various factions within Islam to know whether, you know, whether there's kind of a parallel between, you know, the kind of the evangelical Christian interpretation of of the, you know, the New York New Testament and the old Testament. Um, and, and maybe there's something there. I, I don't know. I'm not familiar enough, but
1: Okay, that's that's fair enough. I, I, it just I I remember, you know. Again, this could be also maybe media propaganda, you know, anti-Muslim, which happens a lot. You know that that was a big theme of the early two thousands, I think. Um, All right, so Jeremy, again, I really want to appreciate you coming on and if love remains your book, obstacle to peace. I want to finish this. You know, if you were king of the world, you know what? Or let me ask it a different way: what? Do you see a way that there could be a solution for peace? You know, if, if people repented and changed their ways, like how could there be a, a true solution in the, where we're sitting right now?
0: Step one, U.S. support for Israel's crimes against the Palestinians must come to an end. And that's up to us as Americans, for those of us who are Americans, um, to accomplish that. We really need to effect um, a paradigm shift. So that it no it is no longer politically feasible for the U.S. government to continue that policy. Um, and once U.S. support for Israel's crimes ends, um, that will that will be a watershed event um, that will enable that will facilitate um, moves forward to a truly just peace. Um, and at this point, you know, there's just increasing support for what's called the one state solution, um, where you know the 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 vision is a single democratic state in which Jews and Arabs have equal rights under the law. And I think that's uh, an admirable aim. I think that's what, what the best goal would be. However, the question is how do we get there? And so the first thing is, you know, ending, ending, for example, the U S use of its veto in the security council to protect Israel um, and to ensure that Israel is able to continue carrying out war crimes in Gaza. Um, you know, that needs to stop. Those kinds of things need to stop. And there needs to be accountability. Uh, the U.S., instead of opposing, should support uh, um, efforts, for example, to to support investigations by the International Criminal Court um, into uh, accusations of war crimes by both Hamas and other armed factions in Gaza and the Israeli Defense Forces. The U.S. should be supporting that, that investigation rather than opposing it. Right. Um, the U.S. should support efforts to to bring legal questions to the International Court of Justice, which in 2004 um, did, at the request of the U.N. Uh, General Assembly, um, did issue a ruling affirming the uh, illegality of Israel's settlement regime as well as the wall, the separation barrier that it's building in the West Bank is completely illegal under international law. Um, so if if the U.S. would stop trying to prevent international law from being applied to the conflict, that would be a huge shift. And that, that's absolutely necessary. We're, n- we're never gonna have any movement toward any kind of real peace or justice as long as the US continues to just block any kind of effort to, to hold the Israeli government accountable for its crimes. Um, so that's, that's really, if we can get to that point, that'll be a huge change. And we, we need to do everything we can to try to, um, you know, number one, educate ourselves about the true nature of the conflict. And recognize that there's a Zionist propaganda narrative and then there's the actual historical truth and the historical reality. And then in just sharing that knowledge with others. And it's a really hard thing because, you know, there's so many, you know, this, just bringing, just talking about this issue brings up just emotional reactions in people. Oh, for sure. And, and just in the last, you know, in the last three weeks, I've lost so many subscribers um, from my newsletter. Uh, for 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 you know speaking out against the crimes on both sides obviously the hamas terrorist attacks of of 107 were a horrific atrocity um uh and there's no justification for it but at the same time what israel is doing in gaza is also a horrific atrocity um of an incomparably greater scale um that is being rightly described as um implementation of of a policy with genocidal intent Yeah, that's. I mean, it, 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 that's Palestinians that's, are being yeah, Palestinians strong, are being massacred and star and starved. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a trickle of humanitarian aid that in the past week has has been allowed in, but um, it's it's horrific. What's happening on the ground in Gaza is horrific, and mm-hmm. and there are people who support it. You know, there are people like when I speak out against that, and I have I have readers on my on my my newsletter mailing list who um, you know they just believe that the U.S. must support Israel. And it's just like unconditional, and it's, and so they're they're like they think that what Israel is doing is the right thing, and there so they have this defense of um, of Israeli war crimes, and you you got to get you know you have to there are people like that like who just refuse to acknowledge it to them it's like good Israel versus evil Palestinians, and there's just people who hold this view, and you can't it's hard to get through to people like that, but you know well,
1: because- I, it is it is, and and you know I, I think one of the you know biggest tropes that you see out there uh, around surrounding this is, is people say, you know, well, what is Israel supposed to do? What is Israel supposed to do? Right. Yes. Well, you know, yeah. let's, let's start by, or, or, um, you know, the Palestinians are using people as human shields and, and well, then it's not bomb the human shields. I mean, you have them there. Like
0: I I, I don't understand the, the yeah, problem. Yeah. If I might speak to that real quick, because that's a Please. really important point about how, you know, that that is the narrative is that, well, Palestinian civilians only die because they're being used by Hamas as human shields. Of course, that same claim was made throughout Operation Cast Lead, which I documented in just extensive detail in Obstacle to Peace. Um, And in fact, you know, international human rights organizations, again, including Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International, as well as numerous UN inquiries, including UN fact-finding mission headed up by a um, self-described Zionist looked at Israel's allegations and and scoured Israel's own, you know, the IDF's own self and guest investigations that it put out, you know, in which it made all these claims of of Palestinian civilians being used by Hamas as human shields. And it wasn't a single documented instance of civilians dying during uh, Operation Cast Lead, not a single documented instance where civilians died during that operation because they were being used by, by Hamas at the time as human shields. Just, they did however document the use of um Palestinian civilians as human shields by Israeli soldiers on the ground in Gaza. Are you serious? Yes. Wow. And so this is again just is the, the nature of like the media reporting and, and government claims and the claims of like ardent zionists who you know just de- defend everything Israel does unconditionally. And it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter what Israel does. It's like they refuse to acknowledge any wrongdoing on the part of israel um and and everything that israel does is justified and defensible and and i you know i hate to break their bubble but um it's indefensible and it's completely unjustifiable um and and and, you know we talked about that the you know the the
1: apartheid status of the of the people in gaza right now especially um but also on the west bank what um Another kind of claim that that Israel makes is is that, well, you know, Arabs in Israel have all the equal rights and have, you know, and, and, and granted, they do live better lives and a lot, a lot of, you know, a lot of places. And, and and that's fair enough, I suppose. But is it true that they do have equal rights? And why, um, you know, if that is the case, why are they denying the people in Gaza those same rights? You mean the 20 percent of
0: Israel's population that's Arab? Yes. Yeah, um, no, it's not true that they have equal rights. They're actually discriminated against. And this is, um, you know, if you look at what Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International and UN agencies have said about the apartheid regime, it's it, it's not, they're not only referring to, of course, it's much, much worse in the occupied territories, but there's also discrimination um, within Israel itself against the the Palestinian population, um, in which, of course, it's only 20% because of the ethnic cleansing that occurred, um, in which 450 or so villages of the Arabs were literally wiped off the map in order for the Jewish state to be established, which is why yeah. there's only 20% of, of Israel's population that remains Arab today. Um, and, you know, again, leading up to the 10, seven attacks with with this, um, you know, the judicial reform that Netanyahu was, was trying to implement. And, you know, the so-called constitutional crisis in Israel with what you know its opponents were describing as a, a judicial coup. Um, uh there, there's been just increased attacks on, on Palestinian civilians or uh, citizens of of Israel um, where where Palestinian citizens are afraid to go out at night there's been murders um regularly according to i just watched an interview a discussion a lecture um, by Israeli historian uh, Ilan Pape who wrote the book The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine and he was describing the situation where there's daily murders of of Palestinians living you know, Palestinians uh, Israeli Palestinians, you know, um, Arab citizens of Israel. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it, it's it's increasingly a situation of, you know, that those citizens are also experiencing this apartheid regime. So it's not just limited to the occupied territories.
1: Jeremy, I, I want to sincerely, this has been really enlightening to me. And, and I hope for my audience that they you go check out JeremyRHammond.com. Is that correct? Yes. And uh, and check out his book, Obstacle for Peace. And you know, and and as he mentioned, you know, you know, one of the I guess benefits—I I would never call the American Empire a benefit—but one of the benefits is that you can actually, you know, maybe do something about this, as far as like, you know, uh, getting people elected and 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 uh, you know, encouraging your your Congress people to stop support of Israel and and start this an actual peace process to begin. So. Um, I want to thank you for your time, and, and I hope you come back on End of Love Remains. I really enjoyed the
0: conversation. Sure, I've enjoyed it as well. Thank you for having me on. Mike is gone.
1: You are listening to End of Love Remains.
0: Gone but not forgotten.
1: First out of 23 installments requested by Dr. Levin. Trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization.